What's going on, everybody? I am Justin Murphy. This is Other Life. Today, I want to teach you a little bit about the life of Ezra Pound, some of the things I've learned about his successes and also his failures. I've been reading an excellent biography about him uh, written by an author named John Titel. Ezra Pound had an absolutely fascinating life. His career as a writer, but also as a general kind of mover and shaker in avant-garde modernist culture is just filled with interesting lessons. And I wanted to start sharing some of those. I think I have a few more possible essays and videos uh, to, to glean from his life. But I want to start with this one today about what we will call just the curse of genius. In many ways, he was a very, very gifted master of the literary arts, but he had some other traits that I think ultimately got in his way and prevented him from really maximizing his, his potential. And so I wanna reflect on these and try to share them with you because many people in my audience are working on various personal endeavors that I think could benefit from understanding both the successes and the failures of great creative figures who have gone before them. Before we get into it though, if you're watching on YouTube, please just take a quick second to subscribe. That would mean a lot to me. Gotta juice those numbers, you know what I'm saying? And if you're listening on the podcast, I just wanna thank you for listening and I appreciate you letting me into your ear. All right, as I was reading this biography, it was both uplifting and humbling. It strikes me that Ezra Pound's life kind of serves as this sort of dramatic illustration of what I'm calling the curse of genius. Pound was an undisputed genius in one way. He was in the realm of language and literature, incredibly gifted. He set out to pretty much master everything there was about language, and he really put in the work to do it. He had a very clear goal of being the greatest poet of his generation and understanding everything possible about poetry in multiple languages. And he did that. He, he was passionate and disciplined and also naturally gifted. So he had everything that was required and he even followed through on it. But in a lot of ways, his actual poetic accomplishments did not really live up to what I think he envisioned. He was very powerful and influential as a kind of editor, as a promoter of other people's works. Most famously, he's known as someone who really popularized and made possible someone like uh, T.S. Eliot. But the T.S. Eliot's of that era outshone Ezra Pound in terms of actual poetic masterworks. To be fair to Ezra Pound, some readers to the email newsletter replied to me recently in my essay about this saying that actually some people think that Ezra Pound's great poetic works were in fact just as good as someone like T.S. Eliot's. And look, I'm no poetry critic, I won't pretend to be, but it seems to be in my estimation pretty fair to say that if you look across all of his works, they just did not make an impact culturally. They did not leave a lasting influence or they did not impact the public cultural memory in a way like uh, T.S. Eliot did. I'll keep my poetic criticism to a minimum because that's not my strong suit, but here I'm really talking about masterworks that leave an imprint in the public culture for decades and decades to come. I think it's fair to say that Ezra Pound's poetic works did not themselves leave as much of an impact as someone like T.S. Eliot or W.B. Yeats, his, his contemporaries. So I want to ask this question of why when Ezra Pound had everything that would have been required and he was well poised to do it, he seemed to have made his contributions and his great impact in other ways. And then towards the tail end of his life, I do believe he kind of goes off the rails a bit. Most infamously, he goes to Mussolini's Italy, becomes rather enthralled with fascism, not just Mussolini's fascism, but does seem to side with Hitler at a certain point. He kind of explicitly becomes uh, a kind of Hitler stand to some degree. I think you can debate how far that goes and what it means. And I'm not here to do any moral grandstanding. I haven't really studied that second half of his life quite yet, but it does look to me fair to say that he does essentially go off the deep end in a way that's neither 
you know, really sensible nor uh, defensible intellectually or ethically. Not, you know, uh, virtue signaling. I'm just saying, it, you know, it does look like he kind of goes off the rails and, and makes some errors in that regard. That's all context. You've probably heard these stories before, but let's look into it with a little bit more detail. Hey, everybody. This is just a quick interruption to invite you to the new Other Life community. We are now really moving in the direction of a network state. It's pretty crazy. We will give you a fully fledged personal server and a special desktop application from our partners at the Hollywood Company, which will let you and all of the members in the community compute together on the peer-to-peer sensor-proof Urbit network. It's still early, but it's insanely cool. If you're into the other life ethos, like if you're a writer or a software developer or whatever, if you're all about freedom and self-reliance outside of institutions, then we want to meet you. The community is now totally free to join. We have other ways now of filtering and sorting people later based on their abilities. It's kind of like the USA of the 1840s. Anyone could get on a ship and go to America, but only some would rise the ranks depending on what they were able to do. To join, just go to otherlife.co forward slash join. That's otherlife.co forward slash join. Here you have a young man with remarkable determination, learning everything there was to know about poetry in multiple languages. And yet, despite his talent and ambition, something comes up short. He doesn't quite achieve what Elliot or Yates achieved in terms of the impact of his overall work. So why is that? That's the real question here. What I would say is that he pretty much becomes overly concerned with the mechanisms of influence, the politics of power in poetry and arts and letters. And this is what I would call the curse of genius. There is a certain pattern one sees sometimes where someone who is very gifted becomes very confident, rightfully so. They have a strong calling to be great. They know they're able to be great. They're, they're driven to become great and they put in all of the work necessary. But at the same time, they're just a little too obsessed with winning that power. They become overly attuned to power. They become overly aware of how power works and they become kind of obsessed with it. And, and this can happen to a person where if you feel like you rightfully deserve some amount of recognition or respect from the public, you can become so obsessed with getting that and figuring out why other people are getting that and why you're not getting that yet and trying to hack it in this kind of mechanical strategic way that you can pretty much lose sight of doing the greatest work possible, which is at the end of the day, the only way that you really get into those upper echelons of greatness. And so that's my interpretation of Pound overall. My interpretation of his life is that his innate skill and intelligence were occasionally overshadowed or perhaps ultimately overshadowed by his obsessions with power and with acknowledgement. It seems that his acute awareness of power dynamics and, and how those influence cultural reception of intellectual work is very useful as an editor. And this also explains why he becomes such a, an effective promoter of the other great poets of the time, because he was sensitively attuned to this. But it also seems to feed a kind of counterproductive paranoia. And this perhaps is also a, a tributary leading into his questionable and probably misguided leaning in, in the second half of his life politically and socially. That's the idea that I want to kind of sketch for you today with some some data from Ezra Pound's life, you know, how this works exactly and, and, and why this happens. In my estimation, I can't help but draw some comparisons 
even between Pound and some of the present day kind of right wing leaning authors who, in my opinion, are often similarly kind of engrossed with power. Pound was fully aware of his own genius and he was so sure of his potential that it just made him kind of excessively self-conscious. I think you see the same thing with a lot of people who I meet nowadays, quote unquote, dissident writers or people who clearly don't fit into the current kind of institutional ideological complexes. And so they have this kind of sense of being excluded, the sense of being just as good as the good institutional writers. And they're often correct about that. But there can be this kind of bitterness, this kind of anxiety around, will I ever be recognized or will I ever get those accolades that the institutional writers have? There's a lot of mental and emotional fixation on this in, in the world today, right now, with the kind of dissident internet spheres. And this is one of the reasons why I think Ezra Pound is an important case study, because it really is a kind of cautionary tale about how this can poison a person and actually distract you from doing the best work possible in the long run, which is ultimately how you're going to get the respect that you hopefully deserve. This is what you see with Ezra Pound. He had a kind of anxiety that his genius would not be uh, recognized or deserved. And that becomes a kind of crippling fixation in his biography. So that rather than immersing himself fully in his own poetic work, he's doing a lot of networking and maneuvering that is understandable for sure. There's a certain reality of to that, but it is also possible to get distracted from doing the real work itself. In a different article that I wrote recently, I said, quote, let the chips fall where they may, suggesting, in other words, that writers should really try as much as possible to not worry about these things, that you want to just do the best work and you want to just let things sort themselves out. If you're canceled, you're canceled. If you're celebrated, you're celebrated. Ultimately, your job is just to try to figure out the truth and express it as beautifully and excellently as possible. It's kind of not in your hands, really. And I think that's the best way to think about it. I think a lot of the best Christian writers, especially in the 20th century, had had this kind of ethics. Uh, if you look at someone like Ivan Illich or Rene Girard, you know, I see in these people not just interesting ideas, but interesting lessons in terms of lifestyle as well, the way they prioritize their energies and, and the way they organize their efforts and, and what they think about and what they don't think about. There's a kind of quiet, humble, modest Christian ethos to the radical intellectual life that is increasingly the one that I find most compelling and admirable, and also in a way most promising in terms of, I think it is actually just the safest, like the, the most reliable way to try to optimize the results of your work. You know, it's not for you to decide whether you're going to be remembered or canonized or famous or whatever. Like, and it's not healthy to even think about that stuff ever. I don't think you want to just focus on excellence, having a, an, a very humble, almost religious attitude towards ignoring the results, ignoring the, the instrumental implications and essentially leaving that to God, if you will. That's the more productive, I think, and healthy, healthier way to think about it. Of course, you know, someone like Ezra Pound did not really practice this. And I think that that was his downfall. In short, a person can be so absorbed in ensuring that their their potential brilliance is recognized that they kind of lose sight of the very work. That That's essentially what happens. And ironically, this is what prevents them from earning the recognition that they yearn for. And I think that that's one of the big lessons of Ezra Pound's life. If you, if you read that biography by, by John Titel, I think you'll find it quite interesting. One idea that I quite like is uh, attributed to the the, com the comedian Steve Martin, who once said that you should be so good they can't ignore you. I really like that attitude and that idea. And I think that that's a good rule of thumb. So if they do still ignore you, you know, what does it matter? You have used your energies in the, the best way you possibly could. What more is there to ask from life? You what what else are you are you entitled to? I don't I don't think very much. Trying to 
manipulate the world into recognizing your success is a very, very doomed path. I think that that's essentially arrogant and it's kind of like playing God. I think that that is kind of what drove Ezra Pound into the the fascistic kind of worldview. You don't want to just say that you don't care what other people think. Anyone can say that. It's easy to say. You want to actually feel that. And that's something that takes effort and cultivation to do that. All you can do is do the best work you can. Just hope for the best, essentially. Beyond that, it's out of your hands. That's the lesson that I want to leave you with today. I'm Justin Murphy. This is Other Life. Thanks for listening. As always, if you're watching on YouTube, just take a quick minute to subscribe to the channel. And as always, if you're listening on the podcast, I appreciate you letting me into your head directly. I have... I have been given right access to your mind in a way. And not only do I take that seriously, but you should also be careful about that. Careful about who else you're letting into your mind. And if I ever, if I ever give you anything less than what is edifying and wholesome and, and constructive and productive for you, then you should unsubscribe from the podcast because your mind is one of the most precious things you have, right? Thank you very much. I appreciate you all. I uh, hope to see you, some of you in the community. If you're working on interesting projects yourself, please do get involved in the community. There will be links in the show notes always. You can check in with us if you want to. Thanks everyone. Over and out.